Hey, Katie. Hey, Ben. Okay, so there's this term I've been hearing called overfitting, and mm -hmm. I'm not really sure what it means. Do you think we could talk about that today? Oh, absolutely. I've got uh, some pretty cool stuff to talk about with overfitting. All right, you are listening to Linear Digressions. Okay, so overfitting, what, what is it? So overfitting is a problem that happens all the time in machine learning. Typically in a machine learning analysis, what you have is a data set. Uh, you're trying to learn the patterns in this data set and to use those patterns to, like, for example, classify uh, new examples. And what overfitting is, is you train, when you're, when you're training your algorithm, you train so specifically to the exact examples in your training data set that then the patterns that you learn don't generalize well to new examples. And so what ends up happening is that you actually do worse on uh, trying to classify new examples than if you had not come up with a set of rules that was like so very specifically oriented for your exact training data set. Okay, so just to, to make sure I understand, you've got a training data set and you're using this training data set as something that supposedly should be representative of all of the rest of your data. And this training data set maybe has been manually classified by people and so you know what all the data points mean in context of your greater problem within this training data set. But if you train against that data set too specifically, then you not only lock on to the features that you care about, but you lock on to features that you don't necessarily care about, that are maybe uh, random noise or details that are in your training set specifically, but not generalizable across the entire problem you're trying to solve. Yeah, so this is something that especially comes up when you have relatively small training data sets or where you have lots and lots of features relative to the number of training examples that you have. Um, and also depending on the exact algorithm that you're using and the exact way that you're running it, the parameters that you've set, um, you can sometimes come up with decision sort of boundaries, so to speak, that can be very intricate or that can be a little bit more general. And so there's a number of ways that you can control this, but in general, uh, something that you're always supposed to do is you take your data set and before you even start training the algorithm, you take some subset of your data, maybe something like 10, 20, 30%, and you set it aside. Um, and you don't use that when you're training. You call this usually your test set or your holdout set. Um, and the idea is that then you have a, a set of data that's completely independent of your training data and you can use that to evaluate how well your model is doing. So that means that if there are patterns in the 70% of your data set and they may be completely random noise that, you know, maybe you might accidentally train your algorithm to pick up on, then you can just run it through the rest of your data set, which you also have labels for. And if it turns out that the rest of your data set, you don't see those patterns, then perhaps you're over overfitting. Yeah, yeah. So you have this independent means of assessing how well your, your model is doing. That's a really smart way of dealing with it. Rather than like, uh, thinking, okay, here's my data that I'm training on, and then what do I do with the rest of the data? I can't actually test whether I'm overfitting or not because I don't have labels for the rest of my data. That's the whole point. Instead, you split up your data set, and assuming that your data set is sufficiently large, you can cut it in half or, or cut it in two-thirds and then use just a portion of that, and then the other part for testing. Well, so it's, it's pretty smart. Um, it's certainly the industry standard, but now let's talk about what can go wrong actually with this approach. Um, so let me describe to you the way that like machine learning analyses actually work um, in the way that almost everyone does them. Uh, so I get my data set. I 
take my, let's say 25% of my data, I put it in my, in my test holdout set, so I'm not going to use it when I'm training. I pick out a set of features that I think might be kind of interesting for the thing that I'm trying to predict. I train a model, and let's say I get 60% accuracy. I'm like, okay, well, that's, that's a good start, but I think I can do better. I'm going to try including another variable uh, that I had excluded before, but now maybe based on the performance that I've seen, I think I could do a little better if I include it. And I run my model again, and now I'm at 63%. Okay, so you're like, doing oh, better, well, right? I'm doing better, yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, that's really great. I'm going to leave that feature in. But I happen to have just read uh, a new paper last weekend that suggested another way, let's say like a transformation that I could do on some other features that I have. So I'm going to do that now as well. So I apply that transformation, and I refit my model. I rerun it. And now I'm at 65%. And I'm like, oh, well, this is great. So keep that and I'm going to keep experimenting and basically I incrementally keep experimenting and sometimes things go well and then I end up keeping those changes. Sometimes I see that the performance on my holdout set suffers and then those are those are changes that obviously I uh, you know I revert back to to before you know I get rid of like you know kind of the bad changes so to right. speak. Right so just to be clear every single time you include something new and you see your performance go up you you check it against the test suite to make sure you're not necessarily overfitting. And uh, some th sometimes things go better, sometimes things go worse. And depending on whether they go better or worse, you keep or uh, throw away the change you just made. Yeah, so this is basically a version of, we, we talked about this a little bit in the episode about p-values. This is a form of what you would call p-hacking maybe, mm. where you're sort of preferentially picking the things that make you do better. It's, it's not... It's not often deliberate on the part of the investigator. Like this is a very natural way of going about these kinds of uh, analyses where you're kind of adaptively, you know, changing things as you go. But you can see how you're actually biasing yourself. You keep all the stuff that edges you toward, you know, kind of better performance on your holdout set and you, you revert back uh, to get rid of the things that don't help you out. And so what you can end up doing is actually overfitting to the holdout set. Um, I was just so going to ask about yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So like your your holdout set, you're not you're not taking it into account in a normal way, but you are taking it into account every time you do a test against it. You're saying like, oh, did I do better or worse on my test set it, with the test set included, right? So uh, the idea is that you're not overfitting the set that you're training on. But by constantly going back and forth uh, and checking on the test set, you might end up accidentally, kind of indirectly, fitting to both and manipulating your algorithm to patterns that may be in all of the data that you're, that you're testing on and training on. Bingo. So the whole idea of a holdout test set is it's supposed to be this independent thing that tells me how well I'm doing, but it's not independent anymore. You have kind of information from that data set that's leaking into the way that I'm actually designing the analysis. And so it's like you're peeking at the answers. Yeah, you could end up getting something uh, that's that's starting to overfit to to the test data, which is a really, really not what you want to do. Uh -huh. Okay, so it's it's a it's a subtle problem, but it's a very important one. It's something that can very easily happen when you're doing these adaptive analyses. And like I said, that's, that's most analyses that people are doing, they're, they're learning as they go. And then they they use that newfound understanding to to improve what they're doing. It's interesting. It actually it actually sounds <laughs> strangely enough. It sounds like machine learning. The science of machine learning is in a way kind of an art as well, 
because you're trying to you're trying to change your algorithm in ways that gets better results, but you're also trying to balance that with accidentally overfitting to your training data or to your training data and your test set indirectly. Yes, there's there's definitely a lot of things to be you know wary of when you're going through this process. However, now that we've kind of established this this idea of a of a overtraining to the holdout test data set as a as a problem, there was a really interesting paper that came out in the uh, August seventh edition of Science Magazine. So this is just a couple of months old as we're as we're recording, and it's called the Reusable Holdout: Preserving Validity in Adaptive Data Analysis. And this was written by a team of uh, of folks who work at a number of different institutions. And they were considering this exact problem. And is there anything that we can do as researchers? Is there a way that we can handle this situation so that we we don't have this exact problem where you're overfitting to the holdout test data set? And the algorithm they describe, they call it the threshold out, which is a little bit, it's like threshold plus holdout. And it's, here's, here's the rough idea. I have my holdout data set that I do my testing on. I also have my training data set. And the training data set is I access it in exactly the same way as before. Um, I use it to like train all my models. I can do basically anything that I want with it. Um, but the holdout data set is, is accessed in this very specific way. Um, and this is a little bit this is a little bit intricate. So stay with me here for a second, but I'll try to explain it. I am ready. Okay. So the idea is I train my model and I compute the accuracy on, of my model on my training data. So I have like, they don't, it's not specifically just accuracy, it's any metric, but I think it's a lot easier to think about it in terms of something concrete. So we'll use accuracy. Sure. So I have my accuracy on my training data set. And I have also, uh, I go in and I compute an accuracy on my holdout data set, but I don't look at it right away. What I do instead is I look at the difference between those two accuracy numbers. Um, So let's say that like, I'm always going to, you know, be a little bit more well-tuned to the training data because that's just the way it is. Um, So I might get a little bit better accuracy on my training data, but if I'm overfitting, I'll get a way better accuracy on my training data. So the difference between those two numbers is going to be sort of reflective of how much I might be overfitting to my training data. What threshold out does is it says, gives me a, give me a threshold when I'm running this algorithm. Let's say it's 5% just to pick a number. And if the difference between these two accuracies that I've computed is greater than 5%, if there's a big difference between these two accuracies that I'm computing, in other words, if I'm likely overfitting to my training data, then the accuracy that I should get back from my algorithm as kind of like the accuracy that you're getting out overall, how well is your, is your uh, model doing? The accuracy that it gives me is the accuracy that it computes on the test data set. So that's sort of the worst one. And I should say that there's, this is a little bit um, imprecise. There's also uh, a little bit of random noise that's being applied to things like the size of the threshold and the exact accuracy that gets returned. So I don't know exactly how it's doing. I know how, I know pretty close to how it's doing, but it mixes in a little bit of random noise that helps keep the holdout set from being like sort of directly accessible to me. Um, when I go in and, and try to like assess how well my model is doing. So anyway, so if there's this big gap, I'm likely overfitting. The gap is bigger than the threshold plus a little bit of noise. Um, then it returns the lower number to me, or I should say it returns the, the, the number of the holdout set to me. But if the two numbers are pretty close to each other, 
then it's going to return to me the number of the, the training data set with a little bit of noise. So there's always a little bit of ambiguity in exactly which number I'm getting back, whether it's coming from the training set or the test set. And then there's also a little bit of noise that gets mixed in as well that keeps it, again, from being completely clear exactly what individual uh, you know, data set is, is sort of driving this result. So like if, if you step back from the specific implementation of this, it feels like what this is trying to do is obfuscate what's actually happening a little bit from you so that you can't hyper-optimize to a particular thing. In this case, how well does it do on the test data set? So that if you're overfitting in one place, let's say your training data, it'll give you the lower number so you don't think you're doing really well because you aren't. Even though you might be doing really well with your training data, it might be because you're overfitting. While at the same time, it's kind of putting a little bit of obfuscation or a disconnect between you and the training data number so that way you can't actually go and hyper-optimize that accidentally. Bingo. I think an important piece of background here also is to understand that a lot of the authors of this paper work on issues of privacy. So you can imagine a lot of situations in which you might want to learn information about the data, a data set as a whole, but not about individual members of a data set. So, for example, trying to do machine learning on health uh, information is a great example of this, mm -hmm. where you might want to understand aggregated statistics, but you don't want to uh, learn about any specific individual. And so the way that they, they say this in the paper, this is, this is a, a quotation I'm reading here, is that the intuition is that if we can learn about the data set in aggregate while provably learning very little about any individual data element, then you can control the information leaked and thus prevent overfitting. So they're thinking about this from this privacy perspective, but it has this really nice, you know, sort of crossover application now in machine learning, where again, it's about preventing information leakage from, from one sort of data set to the person who's kind of querying that data set. Right, because it's exactly that data leakage that leads someone to accidentally, with the best intentions, of course, overfit to their training data set. Yep. And so that is sort of the insight that they had. And, and there are some, some interesting little examples of, of toy analyses that they went through here, um, showing how much better uh, this algorithm does at preventing overfitting to your test data set. Um, so if you're specifically interested in, in using this in some application, it's a, it's a very approachable paper. But uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. You know, it's like we said, it's, a, it's a, an important problem, but one that's very subtle. And it's a, a very elegant little solution to it. What's really interesting to me about this as a much larger problem is that as humans, we tend to have the assumption that the more information we have, the better. But the reality is that in some situations, it's better to have less information and to let algorithms be a little bit more unbiased than we possibly could be. Linear Digressions is a Creative Commons endeavor, which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are ben at LinearDigressions.com and katie at LinearDigressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at Lynn Digressions. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.